Hey y'all and welcome to the Parkies podcast. My name is Allison and I'm the host here. Today we have a lovely interview with the badass lady Chandler. She is a park ranger for the NPS system and we met back when we were both working at Grand Canyon. So some highlights from this interview that you can look forward to is Chandler talking about how she went from having aspirations to be an astronaut to instead being a park ranger. She also talks about how everyone on the political spectrum hates USA Jobs, the website, as well as talking about the challenges of being a seasonal parkie and the challenge of encouraging people to love the parks while also not destroying the parks and overcrowding them at the same time. And lastly, Chandler also talks about the importance of being kind to service workers and being an active citizen, which I think is something we all can relate to with the past year of COVID. So Chandler has worked at Grand Canyon, Canyonlands, Voyagers, and is currently at Big South Fork Recreation Area. She's also volunteered at Laysan Volcanic, Acadia, Lake Mead, and Blue Ridge Parkway. And she mostly volunteered at those locations during the winter and then worked at the other locations during the summer. But again, we'll get into that in the interview. I do want to mention that there is a breakup in audio and I decided to leave that in. So about 20 minutes in, you're going to hear me say, Chandler, the data isn't working. I got to end it. And then us restarting the conversation. And I decided to leave that break in there because the jumping conversation with what we were talking about to what we then talked about isn't quite as smooth. And so I figured I'd just let y'all hear the conversation organically instead of trying to edit this like subject jump so y'all can look forward to that and uh yeah apparently you know living in the mountains apparently if it's windy or snows or like a bird flies across the tree branches weird the internet is sketchy so (laughs) we can you know enjoy that little uh, interruption there but it does not take away from the quality of the conversation so I think that is definitely enough of me blabbering, so enjoy this interview with Chandler. Hey. Hello, welcome back. Okay. Awesome. So, Chandler, welcome to the Parkies podcast. Happy you're here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No worries. So why don't you let everyone know where you are in the world currently? Um, I am currently in Kentucky, just over the line from Tennessee at Big South Fork National River and Recreation Area. Okay. Is that similar to like the Glen Canyon Recreation Area, like in terms of like you can allow boating and stuff like that, but there's other. Um, yeah, less so than there. So we, it. I don't know the whole history. So if someone is familiar with this area, they're probably gonna be like, "You're wrong." I just 
got here like a week ago. But they originally this land was set aside by the Army Corps of Engineers and was set to be dammed. And they decided to move the dam more upstream. However, the land was already federal land. And so they said, hey, let's make it a recreation area slash park. Um, so it's a river and a recreation area. Um, so boating is allowed in most, uh, in all of the park, non-motorized boats are allowed in most of the park just because there's rapids and trying to kind of give people a little more wilderness experience, but there's boating, rafting, kayaking, as well as in the northern portion of the park, you can drive a motorized boat. And then horseback riding is a big thing. Mountain biking is allowed, which is different for like most parks. You can't mountain bike, but in recreation areas, you can. Um, we do allow hunting. So that is something that's a little different than um, quote unquote park. And of course, hiking and and climbing and that kind of stuff. So it's it's um, got a lot of different user groups. And so I think they kept it as a recreation area so that folks who were used to being able to do those kind of activities weren't cut off from doing them in that in this spot is my understanding. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So that's still under like the NPS umbrella. Yep. Yeah, so the Park Service still runs it. Um, we're surrounded by private land. There's Forest Service um, inside the park boundary. There's also some state forest and state parks along the side as well. So it's kind of a cool. It's kind of a cool spot, similar to some national monuments that I've visited, especially out west, in the variety of activity and user groups but I think it's cool that the park service has like I I enjoy mountain biking and it stinks to go to parks I understand why you can't bike in parks but it stinks to go to parks sometimes and you're like man this would be sweet but I know I can't do it so I'm glad that there are places um even within the park service system but also like other land management areas that allow for those activities I think that's helpful yeah because like you said there's different user groups and if we want everyone to use the parks maybe having different levels of protection to allow certain activities it's the best way to achieve that yeah for sure and and there's a lot of comparison in this area we're not too too far we're a couple hours from the Smokies and so you can backpack here um but you definitely get more of a like wildernessy experience at the Smokies than you do here. And so there's, I was reading through some of the paperwork stuff and there's comments from folks like, if you really want a backpacking experience like out there, the Smokies has more opportunities for that. So it's kind of nice. Um, even within this area, there's different places you can go. Um, and there's certainly activities you can do here that might seem more off the beaten path than other areas or other parks so it's kind of neat good balance yeah. 
That's super cool. I didn't even know that spot existed, which I'm sure is a reaction <laughs> you'll probably get a lot. Yeah, my friends are all like, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, because they were like, you went from Grand Canyon to where? Like, you've been, you were in, you were in Utah or like last summer I was in Voyagers and like a lot of people hadn't heard of that one, but they're like, oh, okay, Canada or the Boundary Waters. In this place, they're like, okay, what? <laughs> They're yeah. like between which states? <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, it's nice. There's a, like I said, a lot of different stuff to do and um, different activities, kind of different area, but it's a beautiful park and I'm excited to like get to explore it some more. Yeah, that's awesome. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and then I'm also curious if you always wanted to be involved in the National Park Service or if this that was something you just sort of stumbled upon. Yeah, so I'm Chandler, and I grew up outside Atlanta, Georgia, on the east side of town, um, and went to college, studied English, mostly played softball. I, didn't, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted... I needed a degree um, in something, <laughs> and mm. I I grew up visiting parks. My family, I wouldn't call us outdoorsy, but we enjoyed like outside. And then as I got a little older in high school and college, I kind of got more into like outdoor activities like hiking, climbing, riding, that kind of stuff. And so I, like, I grew up visiting the Smokies and my grandpa volunteered after he retired. Um, he was a, a pilot. And when he retired, he volunteered with the Forest Service right by their house in the North Georgia mountains. And so I grew up kind of knowing that there are park rangers and forest rangers and people that, you know, sign your junior ranger book and take you on hikes and talk to you about the stars or whatever, all these different things. But I never, I never was like, I would not do that, but I was going to be an astronaut growing up. That was, <laughs> I was, I went to space camp. I had like a flight suit with patches all over it. Like I'm not kidding. Like everybody wants to be an astronaut, but I knew, I knew everyone that had, been launched into space like from the beginning until I was in like seventh grade like I had them memorized I could tell you who was the commander I don't anymore of course that is way in some other memory that is gone now but I <laughs> I geeked out right so um college came I had no idea what I wanted to do I think a lot of us can relate to that sentiment and that we sometimes go off to a four-year uh, university not knowing what we want to do. So for Chandler, since she um, wasn't the best test taker and has some ADHDs, she decided to major in English since she could write well. So she um, took classes in English, played softball, and then worked at um, some gear shops and then also sometimes worked as a substitute guide. So she was still, you know, tr 
dipping her toe in the water of outdoor works, but not, you know, jumping fully in. Uh, Also in college, Chandler took a wolfer class, a wilderness first responder, and really enjoyed it. Um, However, graduation came up in December, and she was uh, trying to figure out what to do. At first, she wanted to hike the AT, but just coming out of college, there was no money for that. Then she was thinking about taking a Knowles course, but those are also very expensive. So, what came next is uh, she uh, had to make that money, and I'll let Chandler take it from here. Well, I need a job. So, REI, the outdoor store, um, hired me, and they opened a new store. So, that was fun, and I got to talk to people about gear all day, and REI is actually a pretty cool company to work for if anyone is looking for like a good decent paying job in the outdoor industry um REI knows what's up and they are pretty pretty cool pretty inclusive pretty open-minded company so like all companies they got they got stuff going on but um it was a good experience that I had at least um but I got really tired of one, driving in Atlanta traffic, and two, talking to people all day about these cool trips that they were going on. And I was like, I want, why can't I do this? <laughs> I, I have a college degree. Like, I can work at an REI anywhere. And so one of my friends got a job at an REI out west. And I was like, well, I'll do that. And then I was like, oh, I was living with my parents at the time. But so I was saving a lot of money, but I was like, oh, housing is not affordable. <laughs> so especially out west, especially out west, especially in cool areas where there are hip outdoorsy people that I wanted to hang out with. So I was like, well, dang, I have to I need to find a job that I can either get housing with with the job or where housing is super cheap or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't remember how, but I applied for a job at the Grand Canyon working for the concessionaire company Zantera and was working at the rec center. Um, So I kind of fell into that job, which in, and I don't know if, if we'll talk about this, later but if if you're trying to get into the park service this is one of the many ways that is possible but if you have little to no experience I think this is a great way to do it so I I was working full-time for the rec center with Zantera which included housing that I didn't have to pay for or I didn't have to pay much for it was kind of crappy actually but it was housing and I didn't care and I was living at the Grand Canyon. So um, my standards for housing are pretty low anyway. Sidebar. Uh, um, anyway, so I got got that job. I was working there full time. And then I got in with the Park Service volunteering more or less full time. And I did that for basically a whole spring. And I did the rec center thing for like almost a year. And then I did the Park Service volunteering for close to that time as well, like maybe 
a whole spring and summer. So like a full season. And then I was like, okay, this is sweet. How do I get paid to do this now? And they were like, you need to go to EMT school, which I was already kind of considering. And I was like, okay, and what's the career process look like? Um, you know, like, how do I make this my job all the time? Um, so I well, learned very Chandler, quickly. it says it's trying to reconnect. Oh, no. Hold on. It'll connect. My data must not be too good right now. Hold on. Mom. I'm going to save this, and I'll send you a third link, third time's okay. the charm, <laughs> and we'll hop right into the Grand Canyon. I'm so no, sorry. No, you're good. Okay. Welcome back. Third time's the charm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Normally, if I run on my data, it turns out all right, but I guess today's it's been windy today so i wonder if that's kind of messy. oh yeah yeah sh shockingly i have wi-fi at this government house so wow yeah, that never happens <laughs> <laughs> maybe because you got a permanent position yeah probably well, i don't know <laughs> i'm not complaining yeah all right um, so you were working full-time at the rec center and for nps and volunteering yeah, so I was working. <laughs> Say again? When did you sleep? So the rec center opened super early. And once I'm on a schedule, I'm cool with it. So I would work from 5 a.m. at the rec center till like 1 or 2 p.m. And then I would go hike for a few hours every afternoon for the park service volunteering. And then, you know, from like dinner time, the rest of my evening was whatever. So I enjoy hiking. So it didn't seem like work to me. I was like, well, this is what I would be doing with my off time anyway. Hiking around and talking to people. I enjoy these things. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so it didn't seem like, oh, I have no life. It was like, oh, this is a cool way to meet people um, and get familiar with the park and like get my foot in the door with the park service. So then I was like, how do I get how do I make this a career? Cause I was decent enough at it and I, I knew that I enjoyed it and I like, I got to help out with search and rescue stuff. We got, I got in on a bunch of different kind of training. And so I was like, okay, I, I want to do this. Like this, this is my job. How do I make that happen? Um, and thankfully some very kind people took me under their wing. Um, and kind of walked me through the process. So they were like, okay, these are some different career paths. Um, and so there's many different career paths, but I kind of fell into and like my interest and personality and all that um, kind of fell into the emergency services side of things. So, um, which is what my job is now. But so in order to do that job that I was volunteering, I had to be at EMT. So I went to EMT school and then they were like, you know, if you want to make this like a career and not just a seasonal thing, you should either go and be like really all in on the fire side of things or um, go to law enforcement Academy specifically for the park service. And I was like, Oh, okay, sweet. Like, sounds good. Um, so I did that and worked a few seasons and here I am. 
<laughs> okay. That's the short version. And I know <laughs> that I had a lot of sidebars in there too. So feel free to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> edit as I see fit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. How did you, so I'm, so I know that like, Normally with seasonal park rangers, you kind of, you got to go to USA Jobs. Oh, yeah. So did you have to go through that? I've heard it's kind of (laughs) terrible. Yeah. Go through that and like. I saw a meme the other day. I think I shared it on Instagram and I don't know who shared it, but it was like the one thing that unites hatred and both parties of government is USA jobs or something along those lines. And I was like, gosh, that is so accurate. Like regardless of where you are in the political spectrum, everyone hates USA jobs. Um, so that made me laugh. Um, but yes, I'm well-versed in USA jobs and it is, I don't know. I have some strong feelings. I think a lot of changes are happening in the government right now, which is good or bad, however you might see it. I think a lot of them are probably good. I was told when I first started this that in the next like five to 10 years, and it's gotten a a larger percentage, but I was told when I first started like 2015-ish that – some some good amount of people, like 20% of the federal workforce would be retiring in the next five to 10 years. And I think that that percentage has grown even since I started. Oh. Um, and so I was like, oh, well, perfect. There will be plenty of jobs opening up. And there there are, and there will continue to be, I think, this is my personal opinion. Um, and I, I hope that there are I know that there are people much smarter than me that do the hiring process and I don't envy them at all. I would hate to have to manage that. Um, But I think they're going to have to figure out a way to get, they're going to have to figure out a way to keep good employees um, to come back year after year and have that retention. And then they're also going to have to figure out a way to, to get, good employees um, from the public sector. I've had a lot of friends because of USA Jobs and some of the changes with hiring who have said like, screw this, I'm going to work for Google or not Google, but you know, some public company and not the government because I can make more. And it's like, yep, like nobody gets into this job for the money, but you still have to pay bills. <laughs> um, everyone jokes like you're paid in sunsets, but sunsets don't pay the pay the bills. So um, at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta do what's best for for you as a as a person. And I I hope that um, I hope some things come down from way 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 above me, <laughs> um, and especially regarding hiring and stuff because I've had quite a few friends jump ship for, for very valid reasons. And um, a lot, a lot of folks are not happy with some of the hiring things that have been put in place over the past 
a little bit. So we'll see what happens. Gotcha. Do you think it's like a lack of benefits that's or just like a lack of pay that people are jumping ship? Um or like the fact that it's seasonal. I mean, there's a lot of factors. But. There, there's a lot of factors, and I, I don't want to put words in people's mouth. It is very difficult, and, and regardless of what your job is, I think, whether you do law enforcement, EMS kind of stuff, or you are a fee collector taking people's money at the front gate or anything in between, like, I think it's really difficult, even if you don't work for the government, if you're a guide or something, um, I think it's very difficult to, um, kind of, so for, for almost five years, I was not able to plan more than four months ahead because Mm -hmm. I had no idea where I was going, what park I, I knew I was going to get a job every summer, but Mm -hmm. I didn't know where. So, Everything I own fits in my Subaru Outback. All of my, <laughs> all of my climbing gear, all of my can- like literally everything I own. And so, it, I think that's really difficult. And depending on and depending on your personality and your personal life and different factors, um, you're not able to do that. You know, like if you have if you have a family, if you have kids, if you have financial responsibilities, you can't just work and get decent money six months of the year or less. And then the rest of the year work some minimum wage job and expect to, to make ends meet. So I think that factors in for a lot of people, um, just the seasonal thing. It takes a long time for most folks to get permanent status. Um, like five years is on the shorter end, unfortunately. And, um, it's just really easy to get burnout. I don't think the government does a, there, there are obviously exceptions. The government in general does not do a great job saying like, we appreciate you. Here's, here's a bonus or here's a mental health day, or here's, you know, a longhorn gift card. Whereas like, if you have a, and, and I don't feel unappreciated. I feel very appreciated, but I think that depends on the park and your supervisor and stuff. But, you know, like if you were working a private sector job and you, you did well and submitted your project and it got approved or whatever, your boss might be like, Hey, take an extra day of leave on the company. Or like, here's a long hoard gift card for all your effort. (laughs) Um, And that kind of stuff doesn't, doesn't happen. And I think depending on the park, sometimes seasonal employees are kind of seen as a, a necessary evil <laughs> um, and kind of a lowest on the, the ladder. Um, and, and I mean, you are, but a lot of parks can't function without seasonals either. So it goes both ways. Um, and I, I think, I think a lot of people are just like, I'm over it. I gotta, I gotta, I've put five, 10 years into this and I still can't get a permanent job. I got to do something else, um, which is really unfortunate because some of these folks are, are really good employees and they should be doing this job, but they're not able to for whatever reason. So, 
Yeah. I've heard some ski patrollers say the same thing. Oh, yeah. Like, they aren't paid that well, and yeah, your gig is only, like, five months-ish, however long out of the year. And But you need, like, really, like, if someone, you know, breaks a leg, like, way up in some extreme terrain, you need a good skier, and you need someone who can handle, like the snow and like helping a person with a broken leg get down from that extreme train. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, that does take a lot of skill. Yeah. And I know a lot of park service people do ski patrol and vice versa, like however you, whatever, like switch or like a lot of folks will do because most parks is a summer thing. So if you find something to do in the winter, so I have friends that they like go to Mexico and guide or South America, not this year, but like different stuff. So you almost kind of have to find a winter gig um, just to make ends meet. And for some people, that's really easy. And for others, it's not. I've thankfully had friends and family who've let me stay at their place for cheap or free and been really, really easily able to kind of fall into jobs. But usually those winter jobs aren't you're not making near the same amount of money. Um, and it's hard, I think on people's personal life too, it's hard to have a relationship. It's hard to have friendships. Like I have friends all over the country, but most of my, most of my close friends don't live near me. (laughs) So I'm like constantly calling them. Um, and it's just hard to be away from family. And then, um, similar to folks probably that you've talked to, like with ski patrol, at least in first responder world, um, when you're a seasonal, you're, you're kind of in weird spot with benefits like health and health insurance, but also, um, it puts you in a weird spot as far as like mental health stuff. So like, unfortunately people die in parks and park rangers have to deal with that. Um, or, or other traumatic situations. And so having, having resources available to you some of the time is, I mean, any time is great, but then when you call and you're like, Hey, I'd like to talk to someone about this. They're like, Oh, you're not an employee right now. You can't use this service. And so it's like, well, I was an employee and I'm going to be an employee. Um, And so I think, I think that kind of stuff makes it difficult because it's like, oh, well, okay, well, fine. (laughs) You know, and up this body, yeah, like, do you want me to deal with this or what? Like, so I think, um, and I think especially seasonals are kind of thrown into, situations um and yeah definitely thankfully I have a good support system and definitely people check in while things happen but you know stuff comes up in your personal life and then it reminds you of stuff that maybe happened while you were working and you're like oh I need to need to talk about this with somebody and then like for those resources to not be available just because it's December and not July it's like dang it (laughs) I guess I'll wait. <laughs> um, yeah. Carry around this baggage of 
Right. And just little things like, where do I register my car? And what is my permanent address? <laughs> and oh, um, yeah. like that, even stuff like that. It, it's a minor thing, but it's such a pain. Um, my parents mm-hmm. live in Georgia still. And so all my stuff is there, but I haven't been there in two years. <laughs> so it's, it's always fun. <laughs> yeah. I recently switched over to getting a Colorado driver's license. Nice. And, which is exciting, but because all of Breck's mail goes to a P.O. box and I need proof of a physical address, uh, I had wow. to like find the most random documents to prove <laughs> my physical address. Oh, yeah. Because I went to a P.O. box because I can't get mail. Like it only goes to a post office. So I was just like, this is, it's, yeah, it's a pain. Yeah. You're like. And, and people don't think about that. Like my, I was, I'm trying to buy a house um, now that I'm permanent. And the lady was like, oh, just get your boss to write a, a letter that when your start date is and your salary on a company letterhead. And I was like, um, I work for the federal government. I don't think that's allowed. And my boss is like, oh, no, no, there, there's like a whole system, of course, that's not efficient at all because it's the government. Um, and the lady was like, no, I need it on paper. I can't just call this number. And I was like, well, you're going to have to talk to like Joe Biden or Deb Howland about that, like secretary of the interior or president or something. Like, I can't help you with that. <laughs> so we'll spend company letterhead for what? Like, yeah, she <laughs> The federal government company was like i need i need your pay stubs and i was like i have and i hadn't started the job yet and i was like and i understand like you got to verify that i'm making this money or going to mm-hmm. but she couldn't take the official offer letter because it wasn't on a company letterhead and i was like uh this is as official as it's gonna get lady <laughs> <laughs> this came from a usa like staffing which is usa jobs like email so I don't know what you want from me. This is it. <laughs> but like explaining that to people, that kind of stuff to people that don't work for the government or even some that do who just don't know how the seasonal life works. They're like, like when I call about my background check I've, every so often they redo my background check and they're like, okay, you've lived in nine States in the past five years. Can you explain that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm seasonal. <laughs> I joke with people I'm like I think they put the brand new folks on for the seasonals assuming that that will be easier but it's like no no you need a park service specific person doing these background checks because they're the only people that will understand (laughs) I think the park service is one of the few agencies that utilizes seasonal employees so heavily and so it is Probably the concessionaires, but yeah, I don't know how connected those two are. Um, I don't know. I think it depends on the park and stuff how how much overlap there are, like with people. Um, but probably not with the like. I would I would venture to say that most people that work for the concessionaire do not consider working for the park service and kind of vice versa, unless you're like somebody's 
kid wanting a high school job or something like that. Oh, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, it might depend on where you're at. Yeah. But, all right. So, speaking of past seasonal positions, so I know you were at the Grand Canyon, Voyagers. Were you at any other locations? Yes. <laughs> so, I've worked, I've gotten paid to work at Grand Canyon, Canyonlands, Voyagers, and now Big South Fork. And then I've volunteered at Grand Canyon, Lassen Volcanic in Northern California, um, Acadia, and Lake Mead. Oh, so was the volunteering, like, in between paid gigs? Yeah, so my – I didn't have – a lot of people went to college for, like, forestry or park management. I did not. So I kind of saw that as, oh, well, I need to do something productive. Um, And I am – a lot of people do different things in their off season, like in the winter, but I, I cannot be one to just like sit around and collect unemployment and like play video games or whatever. No shame to those that do. Um, but I need something to do. Even if I will make less working than I would on unemployment, I, I got to do something. So Mm -hmm. that might not be the most financially responsible thing, but that's the best thing for me. So I would find like odd jobs working at like a restaurant one year working at, I usually work at gear shops, like local climbing or hiking. We sell backpacks or whatever. So that's what I've done Mm -hmm. the past few winters. Um, It's fun. I enjoy it. And it keeps me like busy talking to people and, Sometimes the people are planning a trip to a park I've worked at. And I'm like, oh, let me tell you. Oh, that's kind of fun. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I usually try to, if I, and I, I volunteered at the Blue Ridge Parkway a little bit too. But I try to, um, I try to pair my off-season job with somewhere that I can volunteer as well. So, most of my friends live in or around a park. So some of them are more gracious than others and have let me crash um, on their, on their spare bedroom or in their, in their house. And so that's been a way that helps me kind of build my resume and keep my skills kind of fresh as well as network and see different parks and how different parks are managed. Um, And then I also am making some money to be able to pay bills and stuff like that. But I think that's a great, like, if if people are looking for a way to get in, get their foot in the door, like, find yourself, find yourself a park or something and see if you can volunteer, even if it's part-time. Because knowing people and knowing how the process works is huge. Um, if I didn't, if I didn't like, if you don't know how USA jobs and the hiring process works, you're probably not 
like you can you can be very qualified and not even get referred and hear from a human. So it's not a it's nothing like applying for private sector jobs. Mhm. But yeah, it's it's its own animal. But yeah, that's that's usually how I spent my winters like volunteering and working in some capacity. Yeah. That's super cool. That's a wide variety of areas too. Do you have like a favorite part of the country or a favorite park? Mhm. Yeah. I like different areas for different reasons. Um I really like the desert and I don't know if that's cuz I grew up in Georgia and I hate humidity and then I went to the desert and that was the first time that I was like away from home. Like I went to college away from home, but like away from home, away from home, you know. And I think that factors in, but I also like the desert is just really cool and so many different ecosystems within that area and I really like rocks and rivers and the combination of those so um I like the desert a lot but I also really love mountains and trees and having that around so um I don't know that I have a favorite like geographical area I appreciate this country and how many different types of places that we have in I mean I know our continent's pretty big but still like in a relatively small area we've got a lot of variety and I think the park service is cool because it kind of contains a little bit of everything like oh you like the beach here oh you like mountains here you go like so lots of lots of different things but Every place is every place is special in its own way, and some places take a little more time to realize that than others. But but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think there's it's cool because there's something for everyone. And then once you're at a place, like there's something that you'll like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, simply because I'm from Iowa, and Voyagers is one of the closest parks we have to us. I'm curious. What was the the special something about Voyagers? Oh, I loved Voyagers. I got to drive a boat around mostly every day, all day, um, which was cool in and of itself. But Voyagers was sweet. One of my favorite things there was um, watching bald eagles fly around and fish. And the sunsets up there were really nice. It was just really calm, and I usually took my shower in the lake after my work day, so that was nice. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, I bet, because is there a lot of tourists up there, or was it kind of a nice break from, like, the mobs that come to, like, Grand Canyon, and I know a decent amount of people go to, like, Canyonlands and stuff like that. Was Um, it similar, or a little more chill? I don't know what the visitation like per capita is on those two places. I know Grand Canyon sees upwards of like 5 million a year, which is a very large amount of people. Um, Voyagers definitely does not see that many people per year. 
Um, but visitation, I think, across the park service has grown exponentially in the past few years, which is great and not so great, depending on how you look at it. So Voyagers was popular, and there were a lot of people there last summer, and last summer COVID happened as well. So a lot more people were working from home and doing stuff from home and had more vacation time. Um, but everyone at Voyagers was kind of self-contained. Like everyone more or less is on a boat because that's kind of the only way to see the park, whether that's a houseboat or a kayak or a motorboat or whatever. So it was like, this is a brilliant way to spend quarantine or COVID whatever. Um, like get the whole family on a boat and just go hang out for the week. So um, mm -hmm. for Voyager's regular visitation, like they said last year, was much more crowded than what it had been in the past. So I didn't think it was crowded, especially compared to like Canyonlands and Grand Canyon and stuff. But for what they're used to, it was pretty crowded. Yeah. I think a lot of outdoor, all the outdoor industry <laughs> places are experiencing. Yeah. And, and there's definitely still, you know, if you're, if you're willing to hike more than three miles, you'll probably not see that many people regardless of where you're at. You know, even at like Smoky Mountains or Grand Canyon, if you hike further than three miles, you won't see, you'll see less than half the people you would if you only walked one mile. But um, yeah, I think everywhere outside is really feeling the love in a not so great way right now. And so... <laughs> like they're really feeling the love and I'm, I, I love mm -hmm. that people are getting outside. I, I wish everybody would value the outdoors. I think, I think it's great. Outside is like the best medicine for everything. Um, maybe not allergies, but I don't know. I don't really have allergies, <laughs> but, um, like <laughs> even then like go outside, right. maybe like reverse psychology yourself into, I don't know. Oh, I don't know how that works, but, uh, no, I think, I think more people outside is a good thing, but I think we need to do a better job of educating people on how to be good stewards of those places so that they're not loved to death. Um, and I think that can be, that can be really challenging and a lot of people aren't as receptive, especially to like mass messaging, like on social media and stuff like don't geotag this place. And people are like, I will because I'm an influencer and I want to make that money or whatever. Um, and it's like, you can still post your picture, but don't tell everybody where it is. Um, and there's, there's plenty of examples of that if anyone is interested. Um, yeah, Horseshoe Bend, just Google Horseshoe Bend um, in Arizona. They're you know, 10 years ago, people knew about it, but it was a, when I first moved out West, it was a gravel parking lot. And within two years, they had paved it and built like gazebos. And I think now they're talking about expanding that parking lot and building like toilets and all this stuff. And it's like, dang, uh, like I like Instagram. I like Horseshoe Bend, but uh, that that's a prime example of like, 
how internet has kind of ruined people's spirit of exploration a little bit. Yeah. So I heard you say like, we want people outside, but not to the point that they're like loving the parks yeah. to death. And you think like, is just like education the best way to kind of combat that? Or I was curious more, I was wanting to unpack your thoughts on that yeah. a little bit. Um, so I'm by no means an expert in this. These are just my observations. And, and I do think that it's not just one thing is going to fix all the issues in every environment, you know? Um, but I think, I think education is very helpful. Like if, if leave no trace ethics were taught to everyone from like kindergartners to adults, I think that would help. That wouldn't necessarily solve the issue because it is a sliding scale kind of what one person considers leave no trace hardcore and what another person considers leave no trace hardcore like I'm not pooping in a bag or yeah I poop in a bag every time you know so there's it is a sliding scale yeah. um and if people haven't heard of leave no trace you can go to I think it's leave no trace.org they've got a great website you can take a little webinar for free and kind of click through they've got some really good videos um and if you're able to take a leave no trace class, like from your local outdoor, or, excuse me, outdoor gear store or somebody, uh, there's a lot of nonprofits and stuff that do these classes. Like, I think that's kind of the basic knowledge that if you're going to go outside, you need to, you need to at least know leave no trace principles. But I also think, um, I think people doing a little research on their own before they go somewhere. And like, I'm all for, I'm pretty spontaneous. So like, I'm all for like, I'm going to drive and see where I wind up and I'm going to camp in my car. Like, that's great. But you got to have, you got to have some sort of idea um, and make sure that you get like the right permits and that you're being safe about stuff. And, but I do think that there is some responsibility on, um, there's certainly some responsibility on each individual for trying to participate in whatever activity they're doing outside. But I think there's some responsibility on the land managers as well. So that's like the park service or the forest service. And, and I think there's a lot of pushback when things change, regardless of how they change. So I know, um, I saw a thing online, I forgot what park it is somebody a larger park has decided to do like a timed entry system i think acadia is doing a timed entry system for pr like prime time during the summer busy days for cars so for lack of better description if anyone's been to disney world it sounds kind of like the fast pass so like you can be in the park but if you want to go to the main attraction, you got to sign up for a time to go there because there's not enough parking and there won't be a bathroom for you or whatever it is. So there was all kind of pushback online. People are like, 
my taxpayer money is going to this and blah, 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 blah. And I understand that view, but uh, it also isn't fun for anybody. Like if I drove six hours to go to a park, the last thing I would want to do would be to sit in traffic waiting for a parking spot for six hours just to Mm -hmm. sit there for 10 minutes as most people do. So I think, I think we'll see a lot of changes, especially in some of these larger, more congested parks Um, and like Grand Canyon and Zion, Yosemite, a lot of them, a lot of them have uh, shuttle services. So there's talk of making things like that um, required, but the, the truth of it is that the park service and other, other land management agencies are some of the most loved agencies in the government, but they continue to get funding decreased. And Uh, as anyone knows, if you visit parks frequently, the odds of you seeing someone out, um, out and about like fixing the toilets or restocking toilet paper, like are pretty slim, unfortunately. And so like, and, and a lot of stuff needs to change with like infrastructure and roads and water pipelines and stuff like in our whole country, but especially in the parks, a lot of the infrastructure in the park service was built in the sixties. And so it's getting close to being like 7,500 years old. And so it's just outdated, you know, like it happens. It's the same reason most people aren't driving a car that was built in 1960 right now because most of those cars are busted. So, um, so the park service and, and every land management agency just needs a little love. And unfortunately, the only way that that's going to happen is with money. And so I'm a very active citizen. I enjoy writing to my senators and representatives and stuff like that. But if you have listeners that are like, yeah, I like the park service. Um, I highly encourage you. If you feel comfortable just calling your Senator or representative or even like your local town council, um, a lot of stuff happens on the local level, even if you don't have a national park close by. Um, you definitely have a city park. You probably have a state park. And your city people might can influence your state representatives or your um, federal representatives if you get enough uh, enough action going. But, yeah, call. I've had some really great conversations with my representative and um some of his staff members and and we don't agree but he at least hears me out so call and just talk to him and say hey this is important to me i vote for you if you want your job (laughs) you know i mean that's that's really what our government yeah like that's what our government is meant to be whether your representative thinks that or not that's that's one thing but um, you as a citizen can try a lot of um, a lot of stuff now is done online. So it's really easy to go to um, certain websites and look at petitions and public comment periods and stuff. So if they're, you know, the big thing this past summer, they're trying to 
to mine or drill. I forget. I think they're mining right outside of Boundary Waters. And so they're trying to stop that contract. I think the contract was like up for renewal or something. I'm probably messing the details up on this. But anyway, um, sign petitions and email people, call people, and just ask your senators like, hey, have you visited this park? Oh, I have. Like I when um Ryan Zinke was the Secretary of Interior for a little bit during the Trump administration and he was trying to they wanted to mine outside Grand Canyon. Um unfortunately they succeeded in shrinking Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument and Grand Staircase is one of my favorite places that I've ever been on this planet. And so I emailed him and I said, Hey, before you, before you sign this, I urge you to go there and actually spend some time there. And if you want, like I invited him on a river trip, like I was like, I'll go with you. <laughs> um, and, and I think like he obviously didn't take me up on that, but you know, if the, uh, Sierra Club wouldn't have gotten involved in been active citizens. There would have been a dam in the middle of what Grand Canyon National Park is today. So you might not feel like you're doing much, but if you get enough people collectively, it can make a big difference. So even just asking, hey, you know, consider consider this thought when you sign, when you sign that bill and how that might affect, um, public lands or, Hey, it'd be really nice if they would be able to fix the, fix the road down into, you know, whatever park is near you or whatever it is for different areas. But there, there's certainly a backlog of infrastructure issues. And thankfully there's, there's some plans in place for that to get addressed, but um, doesn't mean that they can't change their minds. So, <laughs> and it doesn't mean that things won't come up in the future. So yeah, I encourage everyone to be an active citizen um, and then just educate yourself about the areas. Like I said, like leave no trace kind of stuff. And then specific to that area that you're visiting, um, you know, I grew up in the Southeast and you can burn, more or less any time and then out west that's not okay because wildfires are much more prevalent in the summer so kind of learning the area you're going to and how how you might need to alter your behavior is a good lesson as well yeah yeah i think that's all great advice especially because yeah we we go into these nat like nature areas to kind of escape society sometimes, but everything about society, like the government dictates how we interact in those spaces, like how protected are they? Are the trails well-maintained? Like that all comes down from like the big yeah. brother. So like, you know, it, it does pay off to, you know, especially if you love an area, to fight for its protection especially legally because then yeah and like mining won't touch it hopefully yeah just a whole slog of issues yeah absolutely will be better taken care and of. and on top of that 
it can get really annoying to just be like signing petitions and calling senators. And sometimes you don't feel like you're doing anything that is very important, but I also really enjoy doing stuff and I'm sure other people do too. Most parks are very understaffed and underfunded as we've said, um, and are almost always in need of some kind of volunteers, whether that is you go and pick up trash on the weekend and you can bring your kids along or they need people to go out with a wildlife biologist and count how many butterflies are flying around on a Saturday afternoon, you know, and most of those things are pretty family friendly, but yeah, if you're near a park, whether that's a national park or a state park, or even like your city local stuff, like get involved, see if you can help out in some capacity um, and you usually, you usually meet some really cool people when you do that kind of stuff. And it's just fun to be able to give back, especially if you go there a lot. Um, like, yeah, your taxpayers do fund it, but there's usually some gap. So if you're able to kind of, kind of help with that in any capacity, that is super, super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Very good advice. Yeah, we, so the ski resorts, a lot of them were doing oh, the yeah. reservation system and kind of talks to the crowding you were talking about earlier, but I know it was a huge pain for people and it was kind of a pain if someone like booked the wrong day accidentally and like I couldn't move them because we were full like that, like things like that happened. But honestly, compared to the winter before in Breck, it just kept the like, sometimes I would go. I would be like either on the mountain or tr just trying to get groceries yeah. and I'm like it's a zoo in here like <laughs> like this is awful and I think you know what you take a 10 minute run and then you wait 10 to 15 minutes in a lift yeah. line like it kind of kept that down a little bit there's still some bad crowds of course like Christmas and stuff but I was like wow this is actually kind of nice and yeah, um, land management oh, is almost sure. part crowd management. Yeah, <laughs> so and I think, I, too, like, COVID has made me realize how much I love my local trails. And, like, yeah, it's awesome to go for a hike in a national park. And even when I live in a national park, sometimes my local trail is, like, the greenway in town that's paved and outside the park because it's easier to access and whatever. And so as awesome as it is to go backpacking and drive, you know, across the country to go to Capitol Reef or Zion or whatever, it's also in a very different mindset. It's also really fun to go run on the Greenway on the same trail that I've run three days this week. And I've seen something different every time. So I think COVID's helped people kind of, not take those areas for granted, which I think has been neat to see what people are getting out of their local communities. And maybe that will help people mm -hmm. really appreciate when they are able to travel a little more safely and all that and go on a big epic trip. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah, it's, it all starts where you live and just taking care of that and appreciating that. And then you can 
yeah see the world as a bigger and better place that you know deserves respect like the earth and people it all absolutely all deserves respect yeah i wanted to pivot a little bit um i do love (laughs) i love the responsibility rant um but i also kind of want to talk about so you have been seasonal for five years and then you're switching over to like a full-time permanent position are you excited or are you gonna miss anything about moving from park to park or are you are you like yes give me the stability i want the house i want the yard yeah um (laughs) yes to all of the above i am very excited this is a new it's a new chapter in my book of life (laughs) um uh no it's it's definitely different i (laughs) I will miss some things about being seasonal. I It's fun. Like, it's kind of, especially in parks where the housing is all kind of together. Um, it's fun because you get all these people that are also seasonal and everyone's like, what's up? We're all going to be friends. Like, you know, hang out. We got beach volleyball one night. We got game night at somebody's house, whatever. So, in a way, it's like adult summer camp. <laughs> You know, like you go to, you work with these people (laughs) and then you come home and you hang out with these people. These people are your friends as well as your coworkers, which can have its challenges, I guess. But for the most part, it's good. But um, Mm -hmm. so you're, you know, you're, you make these really deep connections with people and then it's like, well, the season's over, you know, and thankfully, you know, I was hating on social media earlier, but I also really like social media because I got friends all over the country. I could take a road trip right now and be like, Hey, I'm going to go to 10 parks and I'm going to see 10 different friends and I'm not going to have to pay anything other than like, here's a six pack of beer or here's a dinner or whatever, you know? So that's awesome. And I recognize what a huge privilege that is. Um, and I, I enjoy having friends all over and it's fun to connect with folks, but it also, it's been really hard. Um, like I saw my sister for the first time this past winter for the first time in like almost four years. <laughs> and so like, oh I, I missed almost all of her being at college and like just after college. So like stuff like that is like, yeah, I haven't seen you. I saw her one time in that like five year time span when my grandpa died. But it's like, dang, I'm I'm missing big stuff. And like friends have gotten married and I haven't been able to because it's like, okay, do I go get, see you get married and fly across the country for a weekend? Like, that's a lot of money, you know. And people understand, but it will be nice to be in one place and and have some stability and be able to not have to live out of my car <laughs> um, and have to, right, like have to move every six months and, and I actually can plan. Um, so I'm looking forward to that for sure. And having health insurance is really nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Preach. I've been I've been living in like yes. six month increments of like well I don't know what that noise is I'll get that looked at come uh come July <laughs> something happens in November and I'm like 
let's hope this isn't anything major. <laughs> um, yeah. Have to wait till I'm so that, that'll be really nice. I just, yeah, I got an ear infection one winter and the lady told me how much the medicine was. I went to like a sliding scale clinic, which was awesome because they look at your paycheck and I wasn't making like anything. And so she was like, okay, it's $20. So I was like, all right, here you go. And then I went to pick up my medicine, which was like at a Kroger, like not a sliding scale. And they told me how much it was. And I just started crying mm-hmm. in the Kroger. And I, I don't like to cry. And I certainly don't cry in front of people I don't know. But I was like, oh, my gosh. And she was like, uh, give me just a second. And like, so hopefully I won't have to be crying in a Kroger anymore. <laughs> Um, that, <laughs> oh, gosh. that was embarrassing, but yeah. yeah, um, I'm excited. I'm excited for that aspect of things. And I might even get a dog. Yeah. So, which oh, I've wanted a dog for yes. a while, but I have to go to this mm-hmm. one kind of long training. And then after that, I'm hoping I'll get a dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Eli and I are, we're kind of itching for a pet, but we're also very realistic about the fact that we live in a shoebox apartment and, uh, you know, change jobs quite frequently. Well, that's good though. I think (laughs) I know a lot of people that like rushed into getting a pet and then are like crap and are now making like career decisions based on their pet. And that's fine for some people. I'm not willing to, mm. to do that. But it would it would be really nice to come home to a little fluff. And it's just really nice to come home to something or someone. So, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so will you be... The you said like yeah. The so in the park services? service, emergency services is kind of a catch-all. So I'm a law enforcement ranger. My job title is park ranger protection. Um, so we do law enforcement, search and rescue, emergency medical services, and fire. Um, yeah. So that's. I joke that I'm not awesome (laughs) at any of those, but I can do most of them okay. (laughs) Um, And depending (laughs) on the park, sometimes there are, there are more specialized people who just do fire, just do EMS. But um, at smaller parks, you're kind of in charge of all of it. My primary job is law enforcement. And then under that umbrella is those other things. But um, we're close enough to a town that they bring an ambulance here and so we don't have all of all of that stuff to take care of but um more remote parks and larger parks like yellowstone and grand canyon like they have their own ambulance and they do a lot of their own stuff so it's all it's all fun (laughs) i i enjoy it that (laughs) that i think is why i like this job so much but Yeah, you sir. It's That's never true. boring. Yeah, you never know Anything quite what's going to happen, gonna happen. <laughs> at any time. Yeah. Hmm. 
yeah yeah people people are interesting for sure yes definitely yeah well um i'm gonna start to wrap up here so i'll first ask is there um anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't Uh, touch on no if you got people that are trying to get into the park service i'm by no means an expert but i'm happy to help um the only reason that i am where i am now is through the help of other people so i'm happy to pass pass along my tips and tricks and what i know um to help other folks out because it's not easy so give them my email or hit me up on social media or whatever be happy happy to help them out yeah yeah i'll take your instagram in the post Uh, cool yeah so they can contact you that way so cool yeah and then i always like to end out with um one or several of your favorite park stories so this story can either be like happy sad inspirational show off the the drudgery of some days like whatever you want it to be but just a a favorite park story or park stories (laughs) okay i got i got a good one it's sad but happy bittersweet is that the right word okay i don't know um I don't know. Anyway, so (laughs) when I was at Grand Canyon, um, my primary job, I did preventative search and rescue. So a lot of times I was hiking around, talking to people on the trail, telling them what a horrible idea it was to hike to the river and back in a day with their 16 ounce water bottle. And that's it. (laughs) Um, But in all seriousness, (laughs) don't do that. (laughs) Uh, But uh well, that was my primary job. And then yeah, alongside gonna... that, like usually once a week, once or twice a week, we rode on the ambulance if there were any calls. And we got a call one evening for, a, I don't know, an older lady who was at her hotel room right on the rim having some trouble breathing. And we get there and she was she needed some assistance, but she wasn't like in dire need. Um and she, as as folks do, f- forgot to take her medicine. And a lot of people don't know, but Grand Canyon's at altitude. It's like 7,000 feet. And so if you fly from Florida, like I believe she did, and then you're at Grand Canyon, then you, you've kind of set yourself up not for failure, but certainly not to succeed. And certainly not if you already have pre-existing conditions like heart issues um with that so she had all this stuff going on and we you know she hadn't seen the canyon yet she had got to her hotel room and was gonna lay down take a nap and rest some and that's when she started feeling bad so she she's there but she's not there and this was one of the hotels like right on the rim so we were wheeling her out we had we had talked her into going to the hospital because she she needed a little more help than what we were able to give her and she was only getting worse. So, and you know, my opinion, if you're having a hard time breathing, you need to see a doctor. You don't need to see me an EMT. <laughs> I can only help you so much. Like I can't, 
I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I can't do a whole lot. And if you go, if it goes bad, you need more than me. <laughs> um, so we, we had talked her into going to the hospital and she was okay with that. And her friend that she was with was like going to follow the ambulance in her car and all this. So we're about to, we put her on the stretcher or whatever, taking her out. And she was like, you know what? I want to see the Grand Canyon before I die. That's why I came on this trip. Can y'all, can we go see it before you put me in the ambulance? And so me and my coworker look at each other and are like, yeah, yeah, I think we could do that. You know, like not for long, but we can go. And it, it was such a cool experience. So we wheel her over there and it was like the perfect time for this to happen, right? Like the sun is setting. If you've never been to the Grand Canyon, like the colors are mm. amazing, especially at sunrise and sunset. And so it yeah. was perfect That's and it was kind of cloudy. Awesome so you got all these cool shadows with the colors and all this. And, um, and she, you know, we, we gave her a few minutes and she came over and she grabbed my hand and my, my partner's hand and she said, thank y'all so much. And this really means a lot. And she's crying. And, um, I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, I am sorry that this lady doesn't feel good, but I'm glad that I got to experience this with her. And I don't, I don't remember her name. I, I know that she, made it to the hospital and I hope that she's doing okay. Um, but that was a really cool, just, a okay, this is, this is why I did this. I want to do this job. Like, like the job is stressful. There's a lot of crap that we have to do and put up with and I could complain about it all day, but it was, that was one of those like, big perspective moments and I was like man this is cool and I got to help this lady like check off her bucket list <laughs> bucket list or whatever so so that was a that's probably one of my highlights so far in my job yeah that's awesome yeah dealing with um tourists like sometimes like people can get crabby and just like snap at you and then yeah sometimes it does just take a moment like that to for you to realize like some of this vacation is people's like they saved up their whole life for this and (laughs) like that yeah it definitely helps put it in perspective like I had a woman on a snowshoe tour and we were just chatting and hiking along it was just me and her And then she's like, yep, I come to Breckenridge around this time because Mm -hmm. my husband passed away three years ago. And this is a spot where there's no memories. And so she can have like a good Christmas when she comes to Breck. And I was like, wow, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you're spending it with me for an hour. Yeah. Like, like I am honored. (laughs) Like, yeah, just that was my perspective moment. Yeah, it's just, it's things like that where you're like, okay. Just take a breath. Like, it's going to be okay. I can get through the crabby people if absolutely I can help someone like that have a yeah. 
Yeah. Um, thank yeah. your service workers. <laughs> Be kind, <laughs> smile. <laughs> it goes a long way. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, <man. laughs> oh, it sounds good. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Chandler, again, thank you so much. I appreciate your for time. Sure. Your Thanks stories, for having your me. Advice. It was a blast. It was all great. So. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of the Parkies podcast. I just want to reiterate what Chandler talked about with um, recreating responsibly and helping protect the areas you're visiting. She talked about leave no trace, knowing local regulations before you leave. Um, I think this one is especially important considering, like she talked about, um, fire bans in the western U.S. are a lot more prevalent than they are in the southeast and other parts that get a lot more rain. So just knowing before you go will help you make your trip better and help make your interactions with the people that um, work at the resort or town you're visiting a lot better as well. I also loved how Chandler talked about being an active citizen and also protecting the areas in your own backyard and enjoying them because that's super important, you know? It all starts from your backyard. So, no matter if uh, spring has sprung where you are or if spring is creeping along, I hope y'all get outside this week and enjoy some some sunshine so have a good rest of your day and happy trails